everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Phil Kitch from Elides. Sid Lowe is joining me from a car. It's a parked car. So we're sort of keeping up the tradition of kind of recording in car parks. At least one of us is in a car park. That's important, I feel, to, yeah, to maintain the essence. I'm at the side of a road rather than okay. a car park, but I, it is definitely a parked okay. car. That's good, yeah. that's good. That will uh, keep the essence of the of the pod alive and kicking. We've got Match Day 5 results uh, to go through and discuss. Match Day 6 is coming up as well because we've got a, the first round of midweek fixtures uh, as well. So this is what happened then uh, this past weekend. Friday night saw Cadiz win their first game of the season. They beat Celta Vigo by two goals to one at the Estadio Balaidos. Um, Cadiz, quite remarkable what they're doing, how they're doing, how they're still doing it, how people are still not beating them. Cadiz had 22% possession, very few shots on target, but they still managed to win by two goals to one. Saturday saw the mighty Rayo Vallecano record another fantastic home win. They beat Getafe by three goals to nil. All the headlines going to El Tigre Falcao, scoring on his debut. Fantastic. Sydney was in the stadium to witness the debut, but missed the goal. Uh, more on that uh, later. <laughs> uh, he had to rush off to get to the wonder to see Atletico nil, Athletic Club nil. Didn't manage to see any goals <laughs> there. It's worse, yes. doesn't it? Uh, at least didn't sit and watch LC1, Levante 1. No, actually, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. Um, Javier Pastore coming on in the second half for his Elche debut. Words that never thought I'd say on this podcast. And then Osasuna continued the woes for Alaves by beating them 2-0 at the Estadio Mendizorroza. Sunday saw Mallorca and Villarreal draw 0-0. Villarreal have played six competitive matches this season. They've drawn all of them. Sevilla's trip to San Sebastián also ended 0-0. Real Sociedad uh, missing a penalty in the first half. Mikel Oyarzabal doesn't miss many, but he had his spot kick saved by Bono. It was the fourth penalty this week that Bono had faced and only one of them ended up in the back of the net. Betis 2, Espanyol 2 was highly entertaining. Espanyol, remember, who conceded a 99th minute goal to lose 2-1 against Atletico Madrid last week. That was the latest ever winning goal scored in La Liga history. Well, they scored a 97th minute equaliser to draw 2-2 at Betis, a game in which Betis should probably have won 5 or 6-0, uh, but that's football. And then, talking of late goals, Real Madrid were trailing, heading into the last couple of minutes of their fantastic game at Valencia. But up pop Vinicius Jr. and Benzema to score two late goals and claim a 2-1 win for Real Madrid, who are leaders, top of the table with 13 points from a possible 15. Uh, Before we get to the talking points, let me tell you, if you love Spanish football, or even if you have just a mild passing interest, why not join us at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. You can sign up from just €4.25 a month right now. That's four English pounds or $5.50 in the US. You get weekly bonus pod, Q&A pods, our archive of TSFP present series, including our latest messy moments and producer Al's near daily paper reviews. Plus, we've just set up a TSFP discord where patrons can interact with each other and us We've even shown Sid how to use it. Uh, So it's great fun. Everyone seems to be enjoying the Discord as well. So uh, all that at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Sydney, you were at three games this weekend. So let's start with the last one, the big game of the weekend. The Well, one of the biggest fixtures in Spanish football, Valencia, against Real Madrid. First things first, 
Was this the first game that you've been at where it really feels like you were at a proper game? Because there was 30,000 inside Mestaria. It was incredibly noisy, pretty hostile as well. You were pitch side. So what was the experience like? Yeah, I think that's probably true. It, I mean, the, the the first game this season that I went to at Summer Mess felt huge, even though it was only 10,000, because Summer Mess has great acoustics, has really noisy fans, so that felt like a proper occasion, but not quite like this. I was at Atletico Madrid in the Champions League um, in, in midweek, and they had 40,000 in there. I think that's the first game that has had as many as 40,000 fans in Spain since the, since the lockdown. But this had that extra little bit because it's Valencia against Real Madrid which is very much a rivalry at least from Valencia's point of view and I think from Real Madrid's as well to obviously to a slightly lesser extent um, it had in the end I think it was 26,000 they, they were hoping for, for 30,000 I think they'd sold 29,000 tickets it always baffles me that there can be that many sold and that, that many who then don't turn up um, but it was really really noisy and as you say being pitch side as well I think helps in that sense of kind of feeling enclosed you know, by the noise as well, and, and feeling like you're kind of down at that level, uh, and and to an extent, getting the experience that the that the players get, at least in terms of the the mm. noise. Okay, to to the game itself then, which Valencia lost, they really should have won though, because they they dominated Real Madrid. They had Real Madrid on the back foot for large swathes of the game. Yeah, it's tempting, isn't it? And and I think I'm I'm prepared to go some of the way towards this conclusion. I think it's tempting to conclude that they shot themselves in the foot a little bit that they invited the pressure onto themselves in that last 15 minutes um, when when Bordelas made that three man substitution so you had um, Hugo Duda went off Maxi went off and the third player who went off I must confess I can't remember who it was now was it Geddish? I think it was probably Geddish as well yes. the three of them together yes. um, and that seemed very much to be a message that sort of says, right, we hang on to this now. And I mm. think 15 minutes, or it's a little bit less than 15, I think it was something like 13 plus additional time, so it ended up being more than 15, um, hanging on against a team as good as Real Madrid, particularly a Real Madrid team that at that point has decided, well, there's nothing to lose, let's go for them. Um, I think that's always difficult to do. I think it's even more difficult to do when you make three changes at once, and, and it felt, now it's very easy to, to, to kind of allow yourself to be kind of be carried along by impressionistic feelings rather than a, a, a kind of objective analysis of it but mm-hmm. it felt a little bit like those three players went on and because it was that many changes there was a, a, a lack of certainty about where players needed to be you know and mm. that said Bordelas said after the game and I think it's fair enough that he should say this that the, the changes were imposed upon him by the physical condition of the players in the case of Maxi that was definitely true he'd been struggling for the best part of 10, 15, maybe even 20 minutes before the change. I'm not so sure in the case of Hugo Duro and, and, and Gerish, but it felt like they kind of got deeper and deeper and deeper and that basically invited trouble. Madrid, I thought, really created a lot of chances, well not maybe chances, but a real sense of danger throughout that period. And to be honest with you, and, and, and Ancelotti said this after the game, so once, once Madrid had got the equaliser, even though it was as late as 86 minutes, you kind of knew they were going to get the other one. You knew they were going to get another. The question, I suppose, was always going to be how early would they get the, get the equaliser and would it give them time to get a winner as well? A Valencia side who had to deal with some uh, really big injury problems. They lost uh, José Luis Gaia on the, on the morning of the game. They already had Denis Cheryshev out. Uh, and then Carlos Soler had to go off after 15 minutes. And their right-back, Thierry Correa, had to go off as well a couple of minutes later. Then Real Madrid had... Danny Carvajal going off as well through a through injury, but I mean those are four very very important players for uh, Valencia, and they were they were missing. 
Yeah, they are four important players. And of course, that's part of the context to what uh, Baudelaire said about the physical condition of the players. He'd already lost two early on, so that meant he couldn't make the changes perhaps the way that he would have wanted to. I think as well, the other thing is that these are uh, players who got injured who were connected. Um, by which I mean that you lose Gaia, so then you've got a doubt about how you set up on the left hand side of the defence. In the end, the decision was made that that, that, that should be a case of, of, of Fulkier, and at one point it seemed that maybe Fulkier would play with with Gaia and double up the fullbacks. Then there was a suggestion from Bordelas in the in the build up to the game that maybe he'd even swap Solaire's wing and put Solaire on the left and have Fulkier on the right. That mm. obviously then didn't happen. Then Soler goes off, and you have to put on Yunus Musa, who, by the way, played really well. And, and mm. you know, this is a player who we got very excited with last year. He's still only 18. And then it kind of plateaued out, didn't it? And, and, and there was a sort of a sense, oh, maybe, maybe there's not quite as much there as we thought, but I thought it was very, very good yesterday. Um, and, and, you know, they equipped themselves really well. And the other thing that was interesting was when they started having to make the changes. So when they were forced into bringing Tony Latto on, they moved Fulkier across. Yes. And that put Fulkier directly one-on-one with Vinicius. And at that point, you might be thinking, well, Vinicius is probably quite pleased about this because it's not the guy that was supposed to be marking and marking him. And one of the things, there are a lot of things you miss when you pitch side, but there are some things you see. And one of the things that was really interesting was watching those two. Every mm-hmm. single time that Vinicius was anywhere near, near Fulkier, and, and Fulkier tried to make sure he was near him as often as possible, even if the ball was at the other end of the pitch, a little push, a little shove, a little dig mm. in the ribs, a little word. And those two were... I mean, I got the feeling, actually, at one point, they were actually quite enjoying this. It was sort of a bit silly. Um, but that, I think, was a, was kind of a good indication of, of why, yeah, you don't really want to be up against Fulkier. Albeit, in the end, of course, um, Vinicius's goal is very much with Fulkier's help. Yes, deflected in. It was the good old, the old Vinicius that we the were good used old to. Vinicius, you know, yeah. Good old yeah. Vinicius. After a, a couple of fantastic, calm finishes in front of goal, this one uh, deflected in. But we're doing him a bit of a disservice here, um, joking about that, because he's uh, um, coming on leaps and bounds. And yeah. this season, he's got five goals. It took him, I think it's 53 games to score five goals um, for uh, Real Madrid. He's now scored five goals in, in five games. He's uh, absolutely flying. We can talk about him. We can talk about uh, Karim Benzema. And we can also talk about Real Madrid's ability to keep going, which is not anything new. We know that. We know hasta el final vamos Real is the chant from the fans. But if you look this season, they've scored six goals already this season from the 85th minute onwards. And that's led directly to them claiming points here uh, in Valencia. They scored against uh, Levante, an 85th minute equaliser as well. They scored in Milan in the Champions League uh, midweek, uh, very, very late on as well, to to win the game. So they've been not just padding out score lines with, with late goals, but scoring really big goals right at the end of games. Yeah. And, and obviously, look, there are lots of reasons for that. One, of course, is is as you say, the character and the personality and Ancelotti talked about that and, and it was very noticeable um, listening to Ancelotti after the game talking about the, the spirit, whether we play well or badly and he clearly was, was, was absolutely clear that they hadn't played well yesterday uh, mm. and to the, extent that, to the extent that he even responded to questions that kind of invited him to say, well, you know, we'd improved defensively. You know, he, he responds to the question about did you feel a little bit better defensively than in previous games when you've been very critical? He said, no. <laughs> okay, that's a nice answer. There you go. Um, and and I think and I think so. That's part of it. It's partly about the identity, and it's partly about the character. I think it's also about being Real Madrid in in the sense that some teams, um, you know, don't have, if you like, the obligation 
to, to win every game in the way that Real Madrid would do. Now, I don't think that necessarily means that they go for it more than others. Maybe having got a late equaliser, some teams would sit on it and Madrid tend to go and look for the second one rather than just settle for the equaliser. But I think there's a, there's a much more basic reason for it, really, mm. which is that you know all teams, when they're trailing, go, go all out. And, of course, when Real Madrid go all out, by definition, they have more good quality players than most other teams. So it is yes. likely that it will come at some point. And, okay. and so... You you have a I, I think you have that and also you have the strength in depth. So you know Ancelotti made a lot of changes. And I know he hasn't played well for Real Madrid, but you know, you put someone like Jovic on, you put like someone like Rodrigo on, you put him on players who have who can make a Isco. lot of things happen. Isco. Isco. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um on the Q and A pod that we do for patrons, we've got a, a section which is the quick fire round. So we ask a question and in theory you're supposed to give a quick answer um mm. in theory in theory uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to do something similar now with real madrid but i'm going to okay say a player's name and you're going to give me a quick sort of reaction to how they played against valencia okay so like a, a headline a titular or okay. sort of a, yeah, a thought okay all right camavinga really exciting He's got a lot to him and real personality as well. Hazard. Very good. Much sharper than I expected, certainly in the first half. Okay. Benzema. Benzema's just brilliant. Uh, and, and his movement's fabulous. And Vinny Jr. Vinny Jr. Electric. There we go. There we go. That was the first ever I thought, quick fire I must, round. I must admit, <laughs> I thought you were going to throw Casemiro at me because I have very, very, very rarely said this over the years, but Casemiro at the moment's not great. He needs a rest. He looks tired. He, looks, he needs yeah, a bloody exactly, rest. Exactly that. You'd be tired he if you played all the games yeah. that he'd played. Of course. Exactly that. But, but you know, he, he's had this kind of indestructible thing about him in recent years, hasn't he? He's played every minute of every game and somehow he's always seemed to come through it. Mm. And I think this might be the first time that I've looked at him and thought, yeah, give him a break. Mm. Well, that break might come midweek at home to Mallorca. Let's see if, if Camavinga it comes in uh, alongside maybe Fede Valverde and, and who knows, even, even Isco um, could, uh, could start that match. Let's move on. There are lots of other things uh, for us to talk about. Let's talk about the game that you were at on Saturday. That The two games you were at Saturday, starting off with that fantastic win for, for Rayo against Getafe. Al's put in the production notes, it was the moment of the weekend, Falcao scoring on his debut. It is very, very difficult to disagree with that. I can't replicate the noise that I made when that goal went in, <laughs> nor would I want to, but it was um, it was pretty... Pretty exuberant, Sydney, when that goal went in. And it's a brilliant, brilliant goal from, from Falcao. I'm sorry, not to rub it in. I know you weren't there to watch it. You obviously, you've, I know. you've subsequently seen it. But yeah, it was just fantastic. Yeah, it was, it was, I mean, it was very Falcao, basically, in mm. that when the ball came to him and he opened his body very well and, and, and controlled it, that what the Spanish always refer to as a control oriental. I don't know what you'd call that in, in English. He, he kind of controls it and gets it out from his feet in the same move. Yeah. Just puts it in front of yeah. him. And as soon as he'd done that, you thought, he doesn't miss this. Now, obviously, it's easy for me to think that because when I actually finally saw it, it was on the highlights later, and I knew he'd scored. But when you see it, you mm. think, yeah, Falcao doesn't miss chances like this. Uh, and I thought his whole debut was good, by the way. And, and you know, I, I left just after the second goal and he had, he had 
won the corner that led to it. He'd had a shot blocked just a little bit before. He dropped deep and, and, and brought others into play a couple of times. He'd made a tackle. And just the finish was so assured he, he, that that was He looks in fantastic shape. He does look in very I good mean, shape. I mean, he's 35. Yeah. He looks in really good shape. Yeah, he you know, looked, it didn't look like he was sort of lumbering or anything or he's had serious knee problems. He looked great. Yeah, he was, he was sharp. He was agile. He looked slim. He looks strong, um, and and the finish, as I say, the finish was was a finish of a man who just knows. Okay, this goes in, uh, and that's basically what happens. He doesn't doesn't miss chances like that very often, hardly ever, in fact. Um, and you know, I think I think it's, it's I think it's an interesting signing for all sorts of reasons. But even if we strip away all the other reasons, you know, the nostalgia, the excitement, the the, the size of the following that that comes with him, the the media attention, and so on. Purely in footballing terms, Rio desperately needed a striker. And this guy's a striker, and, and, and he won't miss many chances. And they are a team, despite their economic limitations, despite their institutional crisis, despite the fact that we assume that they were a team that were likely to go down, they're a team that do play hard at the pitch and will make things happen and will give him opportunities. Fingers crossed. Let's see. He's got the first goal of his Rio Vallecano campaign. If he can get 10 or 11 more, it would be a fantastic season and it would really put Rio a long way to survival. Remember, they came up through the playoffs, finished sixth last season in the Segunda, but they're flying at the moment. I say flying. They're ninth, two wins from five, seven points, and uh, a really, really positive start, not least because of that goal from uh, Falcao. Uh, At the other end of the table, their opponents, quick, quick word on Getafe, who have lost five games in a row their first five games in a row um under under Michel do you know who the last manager to lose the first five games in a row of the season was yes I do because it's a trick question it was Michel yes it was with Malaga <laughs> I think in uh, 2017 was it something like that anyway. yes I think that's right um, yeah or 16 yeah 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 uh, it's not great for Catafe. it's looking very difficult for them and tomorrow night they play the champions yes and 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 that is <laughs> You know, I'm not saying they definitely won't win. I'm not saying they definitely won't get a point. But of course, they're they're under a huge amount of pressure. And I think that matters. Sometimes it's easy to kind of say pressure and just leave it at that. But I think watching uh, Getafe against Elche last week, um, another great game that I I sat for. It, it was a really aw- absolute lunatic. It really was absolute an awful lunatic. match um, for the most part. Well, I could have told you that. Yes, yes, I know. But what was so striking <laughs> anyway. about it, and I'm glad I saw it in a way, because I think I think feeling it in the stadium made it seem more real as well. For about a 20-minute period in the second half, Getafe absolutely fell apart. They looked like a team with, a, with an incredible mental block, just unable mm. to do anything really, to, to string a couple of passes mm. together. They had a couple of free kicks that they put straight out of play. One of them they tried to play short, and they just kind of tied themselves in knots. And there, there was a real sense, I think, of, of psychological tension that... that wouldn't let them play and while I wouldn't say that you saw that this weekend I think the fact that they were beaten and the way that they were beaten they had a a shot against the post after I think it's 80 seconds uh, from a free kick and then they had what I think is a really questionable penalty and particularly to be given by VAR given against them Um, because you know the idea if the idea is that VAR is clear and obvious I'm not sure it is but in any case it's a penalty and there was I think at that point a kind of a collective sagging of Getafe Hmm. and I think this is a team that is emotionally in a bad place as much as anything else and and yeah um, five defeats in a row with the strong possibility of a sixth it's not great at all 
Collective sagging. I think we've got the podcast title this week. <laughs> uh, let's move on and talk about uh, the game where they won the Metropolitano, which you made it for. You were just rushing to get there in time Literally for kickoff. Literally for kickoff, yeah. Wouldn't want to have missed a second uh, of this. Uh, we've got here in the uh, production notes from Al, it's very nicely put, Griezmann started, Suarez didn't, it's still not quite working. Exactly. Um, and it's not quite working with Sarith or without Sarith. It's not quite working with Griezmann without Griezmann. I think at least in terms of the structure of the team, this was more rational. You know, We talked about how in the two previous games, the position of Griezmann felt very much like a man being crowbarred into a team when maybe mm. it shouldn't have been the case. Uh, this time it felt more rational. So, so, so you have Griezmann starting with Correa. You end up with Jao Felix and Luis Suarez playing more or less the same roles as those two had done, although Jao Felix then got sent off. Um, in the first half, at least, uh, I would say probably half an hour, I thought we saw a pretty good Atletico Madrid. Not brilliant, but a pretty good Atletico Madrid in which we saw the enormous importance, and I know I'm biased, of Kieran Trippier and Marco Llorente. And everything mm-hmm. they did was getting into the area on that right-hand side with Marco Llorente running the inside channel and Trippier playing that little diagonal ball to him. So much mm. so that I actually asked Balenciaga about this after the game. Uh, and he gave a, a really good answer. And quite often players don't want to give you technical answers. And he talked about how the the, the role of the fullback in Marcelino's team is to step towards the, 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 the midfielder in front of you or if there isn't a midfielder there, to step onto the fullback in front of you. And he talked about how Atletico Madrid and the positioning of Trippier and of Llorente was not quite where it would normally be. And he said he mm-hmm. found himself stepping too far to get to Trippier, which essentially invited Llorente into the space behind him. And he said there was a mm. point uh, uh, after about 25 minutes or half an hour, he didn't actually say the time, he said there was a point in the first half when the manager um, changed it. And he basically changed the, pot, the starting point for me. And from that point mm. onwards, you saw they stopped doing it anymore. Now, it's not that they completely stopped doing it because those two are very good players and they work that little, what the Spanish always refer to as a society, that kind of association, yes. that combination, really, really well. But it did, sort of, it did sort of end. And when that ended, it felt like a lot of their threat went as well. Um, mm. I feel like I should add here that R.D.P. I thought was brilliant all the way through the game and it really clearly a really conscious plan to have him switching play from the middle uh, to the wings. Ro- Ro- often. Rodrigo De Paul. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're taking yeah, the Rauda Tomas role and, and putting it to him. <laughs> and, and, and I thought he was very, very good. But there was a sort of a flatness about Atletico. That said, they had created a couple of reasonable chances for Griezmann in those first 20 minutes, of which you would have expected him to have at least taken one of them. And yet the two best chances of the game definitely fell to Athletic Club. Uh, Iñaki Williams was through on goal one-on-one with Jan Oblak, didn't even hit the target. And then in injury time, Asier Villalibre had a, a really, really good chance as well, just outside the six-yard box. Definitely should have scored and didn't. So, yeah, the best chance of the game fell to the visitors. Yes. Uh, and with the Iñaki Williams one, you know, this this brings us to a kind of a recurring theme, doesn't it? Which is that <laughs> he's not really an out-and-out forward. Uh, Marcelino himself said earlier in the season that, you know, you can't expect... But why isn't he? He is. We've seen him finish brilliantly before. He can do it. Yeah, we it's have. It's not like he's never yeah, scored he a good goal. He can score goals. No, exactly. He's scored lots of good goals. Um, not as many as perhaps he should do. Maybe it's the relentlessness. Maybe there's not enough chances for him to, to, to kind of essentially just a mathematical thing to have enough shots to get kind of 10-15 goals a season um, the, the thing about this is as you say it's not that he didn't just miss a target it was actually quite a long way wide mm. considering that he was one and one now admittedly you're facing Jan Oblaktopus 
and and I, I suspect I suspect you'd completely bottle it when you see Oblo Octopus come into view. But I would. Um, he, he probably should have done. Yeah, he, he probably should have done better. And, and actually, Marcelino was pretty pleased with the way they played afterwards. Uh, not not just because they restricted Athletic, uh, sorry, Atletico to not very much, but also because Athletic themselves had had those two chances. And I think he feels that. If they have games like that, it might only be a couple of chances, but if there's a couple of clear ones, they will normally take one of them. Yeah. They've only conceded one goal all season, Athletic, in five matches. It's very impressive. Yeah. And that was and that, to Barcelona. And that was against Barcelona. And it was Memphis Depay yeah. with that with that rocket out of nowhere, really. So, yeah, they, they, I thought they were, they were pretty impressive at the weekend, Athletic. Yeah. Very well organised. They, they've got some of those um, very clear qualities that, that, that Marcelino wants. They had to make changes this weekend in, in, in the full-back positions, for example, and, and you know, play very well. And so, so they, look, we knew this, didn't we? Mm. Marcelino is a very, very good manager. This is, this is a guy that you know that even when they're not playing well, there's work behind them. Mm. They're, 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 you know, they're, they're absolutely a, a drilled team. Mm. Mm. Well drilled, well organised, and very difficult to beat. Uh, they've started the season uh, very well indeed, uh, Athletic Club, and this is a good, good, uh, good point for them. I think they lost nine of their last ten visits to uh, to Atletico Madrid, yeah. so to come away with something uh, was actually pretty decent. Nine points they have, and they are uh, unbeaten so far uh, this uh, season. Uh, all right, uh, before we uh, go, a quick mention. I know you didn't actually watch this game, Sid, or I'm assuming you didn't watch Betis against Espanyol. Am I right? Oh, I did. You yeah. did. Oh, right. No, no, I did watch it because, because of course, as you know, the the, the beauty, the beauty of uh, the Renfe play on the train. Oh, yes. So I, I watched the whole of the first half and then, and then watched the highlights later to to get the second half. For the last twenty minutes of the first half, yeah, I thought Betis wow. were brilliant. Wow, it was it really, really exciting. Yeah. Really cutting through, making lots of clean, clear chances. The quality of the football was great. My favourite moment was that moment where Fakir did what the Spanish describe as a sombrero, where you flick the ball over a defender's head. Yeah. But he did it with his head. <laughs> yeah. It bounces in the air and he, he nods it over the defender and then hits either the side netting or the post. Rodri hits the post twice. Yeah. Um, the goal the goal that's... Uh, which goal is it? The, the first of the two goals is an absolutely sensational pass yes. from Canales. Yes. The second goal is brilliantly made by Bellerin, basically sliding in and somehow coming away with the ball. Having had a pretty difficult time of it, actually, for about half an hour. Mm. He'd been given the runaround a little bit up until then. But I, I thought Betis were really, really enjoyable to watch. And, and Espanyol, to be honest, were, you know, they've proven, I think, this year that they're already that they're probably good enough to survive. But I thought they were a little fortunate in this one. They were incredibly fortunate uh, in this one. I happened to be watching it with two Espanyol fans who couldn't believe it. Uh, <laughs> could not believe they got something out of this game. They really uh, should have conceded five or six goals. And just the combination of Canales and Fekir, when, when, when they're on yeah. form and they're finding each other, they're two of the best footballers in La Liga, easily. Uh. Fabulous, yeah, yeah, really, really enjoyable, um, and and you know they're, they're a team that, that that play with with a kind of a how do you what, how would you describe it? I suppose a a willingness to go at people, an incision, a determination to attack. That's that, that's that's great fun to watch. And Rodri, who who last year yeah. saw play against Atletico San Luqueño. Right. And and I hadn't actually clicked that he'd already had a few first team games. I remember coming away from that saying, "Oh, that that I think he was wearing twenty one. Or maybe he was wearing 10, I'm not sure. Anyway, I came away from it going, that guy's really good. And someone said to me, yeah, he's the one who's already had a couple of first-team games. Like, oh, well, that'd be why then. And he looks really, really comfortable in the first team. 
yeah, Betis against uh, Espanyol was a, a really fantastic uh, exhibition of uh, football. I have to say, guys, when you're when when you're presenting eleven hours of non-stop La Liga coverage <laughs> and the first two matches of the day are nil-nil, you're absolutely <laughs> desperate for something to happen in the third game, and uh, and that that that. that that delivered Betis against Espanyol and then Valencia, Real Madrid was great as well. Uh, before we go, quick word of uh, what's happening in the Segunda. Ponferradina are top after a 4-0 win over Malaga. They've won five out of six games so far. Sporting a second, but they lost 3-2 at Eibar yesterday. Almeria won 4-0 at Alcorcón on Friday, uh, causing uh, Alcorcón to sack their poor old manager, Ankela. Uh, another coach under pressure is Pacheta. His Valladolid side lost 1-0 at Girona. Their third defeat in a row. And the mighty Real Oviedo drew 1-1 at Ibiza, a game we inexplicably did not arrange a TSFP trip to see, Sydney. That's on your shoulders. <laughs> all right. Oviedo yeah, played their terrible, first ever professional game in Ibiza in late September. <laughs> we should have been there. What was wrong with you? Oh, we should have been there for a week worth of preview yes. and a week worth of sifting through the rubble of it as well. Yes, yes. Anyway, we did. Um, match day six, as I say, gets underway tomorrow night. Tonight, we've got Barcelona against Granada. Really, really interesting game and a, a huge game for bo- both sides. We'll discuss it, I think, a little bit on tomorrow's Q&A pod. And then match day six gets underway tomorrow. Getafe against Atleti, Athletic Club against Rio, Levante against Celtra on Tuesday. Then on Wednesday, Espanyol Alaves, Sevilla Valencia, Madrid Mallorca, Villarreal Elche. And Thursday is Granada Real Sociedad, Osasuna Betis and Cadiz against Barca. I'm going to Madrid Mallorca, Sydney. I haven't been to a game in a year and a half. Oh, wow. I'm very, I'm very excited. I got a ticket. I thought, Fantastic. why not? I'm going. 27 euros, yeah. Bosch. Yeah, why not? Too right. So, so I'll see you there, I guess. Yes, I hope so. Even if, we're, if we're not quite in the same stands, I will at least wave at you. All right, then. I'll, 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 I, can, I can feel you. I'll be able to feel your presence, even though you're, you, won't, you won't be next to me. Um, <laughs> Which reminds me of a terrible joke, but I think I've told it before, so I won't do it again. That's never stopped you before. Uh, it's Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker having a lightsaber fight. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Darth Vader says to Luke Skywalker... I know what you got me for Christmas. Luke Skywalker says, what are you talking about? He says, I have felt your presence. Yeah, you have told that one before. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's it for uh, today's uh, edition <laughs> of TSFP. Thanks for joining us. Uh, if you're a patron, uh, we'll see you over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP for loads of content this week. Otherwise, as ever, as always, we'll be back here next Monday. Adios. Cheerio. 